All right, we've been speaking about heaven for the number of weeks past, and I hope that you've been encouraged, and I hope that you've learned something about the nature of heaven and what it's going to be about, and uh, basically and mostly about our heavenly rewards. There is going to be some great days in heaven. I want you to know that based upon our, our faithfulness here on earth. Yes, we're going to get to see Jesus. And that's going to be awesome. I mean, just beyond description, awesome. But yet he has something more for us. He has rewards for us that have been faithful. So I hope you've enjoyed and learned some of the concepts over the past period of time. And I would encourage you to go back to our website and uh, re-listen to some of these messages. They're all there. If you want to go back and, and, and listen again, and uh, I would uh, very much encourage you to do that. And um, I, I hope that we've learned here that we are living in the last days. Fully believe that. I am fully convinced that we are in the last days of time. And every day takes us one day closer to the final day. Just so you know that. We're not going the other direction. We're going towards the end. And uh, these are serious times. And it's important that we understand heaven. We understand where we're going if we're going to live effectively in this life. So, uh, and you also understand that we have, there's, there is a God of this world, a little G God of this world named Satan. And he's all about messing us up. He's all about confusion. He's all about distraction. He's all about bringing all kinds of distortions and misunderstandings to God's word. Because he does not want you to be victorious. Just so you know that. So you're going to have that enemy that's going to be getting stronger as well as we are getting to the end days. But thank the Lord that Jesus has conquered him already now. Now this being my last message before, I, before my sabbatical time, I want to encourage everyone in this church. Anyone that calls this their church home or you remember this church, I, I want to encourage you to stay committed to the calling that you have to be a part of this church. Don't let this summer, um, don't let it slip by. I know you have vacations, and that's great, and I want to encourage you to take vacations, but when you're not on vacation, support your church. We have some really good speakers that are going to be coming in. There some of our, our staff at the, our district level. They're good people, great men of God. Jackie and Larry's son, Mark, is going to be ministering on the 24th. Uh, that's going to be fun, so listen, come and listen to Mark preach. It's going to be a really exciting day for that. Then we're also going to have uh, Brothers Walker coming in on the 22nd of July. So they're going to be here as well. Uh, the first week of September, Labor Day weekend, we're going to have Teen Challenge. Brother Phil McLean will bring his uh, the ladies up from uh, Teen Challenge. They'll be here on September 1st. So there's just a great time um, ahead. So I would encourage you to support your church financially, support your church with your attendance, and support it with your prayer. And uh, thank you for your prayers for us. Really appreciate that. So what it's going to take for us, I want to talk this morning about heaven and the work and rest, the work and rest from a heaven perspective. It's going to take a combination of both to get through this life. It's a good combination of both work and rest if we're going to truly uh, understand the fullness of what life offers here. The theme of the sabbatical time that we're taking is gearing for growth. Gearing for growth. And I feel the Lord is taking us through the process of what he wants us and how he wants to prepare us for the growth that he's going to bring according to his standards, not our standards. We as people have a standard of growth and we think that it has to be a certain way before we see it successful. But I will tell you that God sees growth totally different most of the time than what we see it. So I'm asking and I'm praying for his wisdom and his um, 
authority and his power and his empowerment to gear us for the growth that he has for us. And that means that we must understand his viewpoint of work and his viewpoint of rest. You know, to be grow to grow healthy and strong, we need to have both. A healthy body understands when it's time to work and when it's time to rest. There has to be a good combination. These seasons are necessary. And if there's an extreme bent toward one or the other, we can get out of whack. We can get out of balance. And this brings up a good point, that there is a tension between resting and working. There is that tension that some people have about, um, and when I call rest, I look at it this way, into more of a hyper-grace. That all it means, all we need, all that really matters is that we have Jesus in our heart, and all the best thing we need to do is just stay in his presence and, and understand how, that he loves us and that he's got his arms around us, and that we just are, are all we do is stay in the presence of God, and we just spend most of the time in rest. And, and, and yes, we need to have seasons of rest, but just as much as we need seasons of rest, we need to be effective in our work. We need to be about the Father's business while there's still daylight. We need to be out working the kingdom. We need to be building the kingdom. And the fact of the matter is there has to be both work and rest. And I, hopefully that's what I want to talk about today. That So that we don't go to the extreme of overly emphasizing rest to the point that all it is is about God's grace. And that we don't, it doesn't make any difference what I do after that. I just have to have the grace of God in my life and all is good. Or I don't want to go to the extreme of I have to work, 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 work. And I have to work my way to God's grace. No, we don't do that either. There's a good combination of work and rest. And we see this example given to us in the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus visited them as recorded in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, him as Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. (laughs) But Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this verse. Help us to understand what it means to uh, invite work and enjoy rest at the same time in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's much we can glean from this Mary, or from this passage of, of the story of, of rest and work. And Mary certainly is the rest person, and Martha is the works person in the story. And Jesus gives her a great answer. Even though Martha does have legitimate work concerns, nothing is more important than taking the opportunity to press into a relationship with Jesus. Even though there are proper work concerns that she has, Jesus says, Martha, you're too distracted by the things of this world. You're too distracted that I really care that if your house is clean. I don't care. I don't care if the food is 100% right. I don't care. You're, you're distracted. You're letting the things of this temporary world distract you over the most important thing, and that is the relationship with me. So when we have that proper understanding, yes, we can invite the Lord into our house, but he comes just as we are. 
He accepts us just as we are. And then he does the cleaning work. He cleans us up. He will clean you up, by the way, just so you know that. He's not going to leave you dirty. If you came dirty, yeah, you're dirty. And he's going to clean you up. So don't worry about that. But the question is, how do we apply this work-rest process in our lives? Well, I would say that the answer to that question is is about as varied as the people that are asking it. It's all different. Yours is going to be different than mine. I can't give you a single answer as to how you work and how you rest. Therefore, each person needs to stay connected to Christ. Each person needs to have the relationship with the Holy Spirit to be led by Him. And let Him lead you into seasons of work and seasons of rest. You have to stay connected to Christ. You can't do this on your own, by the way. The only way that you can have the assurance of when is the time to rest and when is the time to work is when the Holy Spirit gives you that leading. He gives you that prompting. So be listening to the voice of God. What is work? I think we need to maybe have a better understanding of what work is before we can really maybe go much further. What do you think of work? When you think of work, what do you think of? Give me some answers. What do you think of work? Shout out some answers. What does work mean to you? Hard work. Put the floor in. Hard. What, is, what does work mean? Sweat. Responsibility. Responsibility. What's that? Accomplishments. Yeah. And enjoy it. And enjoy it. You're jumping ahead. And enjoy it. But work, most of the time, is burdensome. Most of the time, I don't have enough time in the day to get it all done. It's like a hamster wheel. Run, run, run. Got more to do. Just don't quite have enough time to get it done. Work also, to some of us that are lazy, I say us, something to avoid at all if possible. (laughs) How many times do we try to skate out of work? Come on, be honest with me. No, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but... There's a lot of negative things about work, and, and maybe you've heard it even said, maybe you've heard it, people say that work is a curse, that it's a result of the fall. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have, have sinned and fallen, we wouldn't have work. It's all their fault. Well, can I tell you that work is not a result of the fall? That work was predated to the fall? Let's go back and let's understand this. Open your Bible to Genesis, and we're going to find that work was established by God well before the fall was ever thought of by Adam and Eve. In fact, it was even before Adam and Eve were even created. God was already at work. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. (laughs) Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does it mean that God worked at creation? See, the Hebrew word for work means exactly that. God worked. He created. He formed. He fashioned the creation just the way he wanted it. He didn't assign it to the angels. He didn't assign it to anybody else. He didn't delegate it. No, God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they created 
everything. They worked. They did it. So work can be thought of as what Tony suggested, taking personal responsibility to get a task done. That can be work. In that vein, God took the responsibility to personally create. That means he worked in the creation. There's nothing wrong with God working. And there's nothing wrong with understanding that God wants his creation, that's you and I, to also work. Work is not the enemy's idea. Work is God's idea. He ordained it. Let's continue on to see how this happened. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, later in that same chapter, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Hmm. Where do you think this is going? There's no one to work the ground. So what did he do? All right, look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Okay, so we're starting to see a pattern here. God's doing, so he's got some, he's got a plan. First God creates the earth with no plants on it because he doesn't have anybody to work it. Then he creates man from the dust of the earth and he breathes life into him and now man is living. What do you think comes next? Verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So therefore, God has ordained work well before Satan had anything to do with convincing Adam and Eve to sin. So do not think work is a curse. God placed man in the garden with the purpose of working and taking care of it. Man is created to work. He's not the delegator. He is the worker. How does that make you feel? Are you liking your job any better yet? (laughs) So work is not the result of the fall. It predated the fall. But there's something else that also predated the fall that we need to talk about, and that is the word rest. God rested after he worked. Did God need to rest because he was tired? Did God need to rest because he was exhausted from all the work he'd done during the creation? I'll let you wrestle with that one. But maybe we need to understand here a better definition for the word rest. What does it mean to rest? When you look at both the Hebrew and the Greek words that are translated into rest, they seem to be more of a ceasing or a stopping of what was being done because the task was completed. It never really indicated here that he was tired, but that his job was complete, so he rested. I don't see anything here that God had to rest or that God had to stop creating because he was tired. He was just completed in his creation. And he took the time, I think, to evaluate. So rather than ceasing because he was exhausted, he ceased because his creating was finished for the moment. And he stopped and he rested. And he observed what he had been working on and he evaluated it. 
If you notice, every day after his creation, the first six days, what did he say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 10. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1, 14. Let, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And God saw that it was good. He rested between the days and evaluated and said, oh, that was, that was good. I did good work. Genesis 124, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And God said it was good. He rested, evaluated. And finally, Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made, including man at this point in time. And he said it was very good. He was very pleased with his creation. He was very pleased with the work that he had done. So one of the reasons for rest for God and even for us is a time for us to stop doing what we're doing and evaluate and see if it meets the criteria of was it good? Was it good? Did the work that I did today, was it good? Did I spend my priorities properly? Did I spend my money properly? We talked in Sunday school class today. If you want to know a person's heart, if you want to know their priorities, examine their calendar and examine their wallet. You know what a man does with his time. You know what a man does with his money. You'll know what his priorities are. So for one of the reasons that for God's rest is for us to take an example of that and to stop, cease what we're doing at times and evaluate, was it good? Was it good? But then came the fall. Adam and Eve sinned and there came a problem. And there is an element of work that was created at the fall that we're suffering with today and that is called toil. Work wasn't a result of the fall, but the toil of work was created at the fall. I don't think God ever intended man to have to toil at his work or the responsibility that God gave us. I don't think that was God's plan at all. God wanted us to work, but I don't think he wanted us to toil. Toil, the pain of toil came after the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is after the fall. God is talking to Satan. He's cursed Satan, and now he's talking to Adam and Eve. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The ground was originally created to give food easily. We see nothing that said it was hard work for Adam and Eve to tend the Garden of Eden until the fall came. Then at that point in time, when man sinned, it not only destroyed the perfect nature within them, because man died when they ate the fruit, right? Their nature, their, their, their holy, righteous nature died at that moment. 
Not only did the sin destroy their perfect nature, but it destroyed the perfection of God's creation. All creation fell with it. Therefore, we toil to work the ground. We toil for a living today. That's why we think of work as burdensome and hard and sweat. Yeah. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That's man. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation is groaning. Creation is, is, is expecting eagerly the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ's return. And when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, and then earth is set back to its perfect state. But until then, creation is groaning because creation fell as well. So even though creation fell and is impacted by sin, its destructive nature will be restored when Jesus comes back. When he finally comes back, at that point, toil will be no more. At that point, it will not be a burden to work. But until then, toil has been introduced. A man is forced to work a cursed ground that grows weeds easier than grass. Weeds grow when nothing else will. Have you ever noticed that? Weeds grow through pavement. Have you ever seen a stalk of corn grow through pavement? Have you ever seen a carrot grow through pavement? No, but weeds. I don't know how that happens. Not even a crack in this pavement. And all of a sudden, their, their weed makes the crack. How powerful is that? How powerful is the curse? So often we define work today in the terms of the curse of the fall. But there's a spiritual kind of work that we're designed for that isn't a toil and isn't burdensome. It is when we're working by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's all a part of our spiritual giftings that we have. When I work under the power and under the unction and under the, the, the enablement of the Holy Spirit, even though I'm getting something accomplished, it doesn't feel like work, does it? When you're working in your gift, it doesn't feel like work. Do you know what I'm talking about? We talked about this on Wednesday night a little bit. And uh, I asked Jackie. Jackie's a writer. Jackie likes to, you know, she's got Jackie's world. And we've all, <laughs> if we've been there, we know it's interesting. <laughs> but I asked Jackie, I said, Jackie, is it hard for you to do that? And she goes, no, not at all. It just happens. I mean, when you're writing, when she's writing and, and, and flowing in her gift, it just is no work at all. It just flows out. But yet, if I asked somebody else that wasn't a writer, if they had to do what Jackie did, would it be work? Jeff, would it be work? <laughs> Absolutely, it was work. It would have been work, but it wouldn't. But it wasn't work for Jeff to paint the ceiling. I mean, not for him because he's gifted in that area. He's gifted to use his hands. He's gifted in a different way. But Jackie would not have been very good at the ceiling, would you, Jack? No. no. I don't think she would have gone up in the scaffolding. No. See, so all of a sudden when we're doing something that we're not gifted in, 
it becomes work for us. But when we're, when we're operating in our gifts, it's not work, it's enjoyment and it's fulfilling for us. This is a kind of work that, will be re- that we will be rewarded for at the Bema Seat Judgment. The work that we're going to be evaluated for come, come heaven, that Bema Seat, that second judgment of, of believers, we're going to be rewarded for the work that we've done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by what I did in my own flesh. Because what I did in my own flesh, I'm probably proud of. I probably take credit for. And I've probably already gotten my reward here on earth for the praise of men. But when I work according to the gifts of God, when I work according to the Holy Spirit's power, that unction, those are the works that are seen by the Father, more so than seen by men. Nobody knew Jeff did the ceiling, and he probably would have been glad if nobody knew Jeff, Jeff did the ceiling. But yet that's the kind of gift that is rewarded when we get to heaven, because those are the gifts that are done unseen. And that is not work. That is not work. Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, when we work with the proper attitude, the proper motivation that we are working for the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are working for an audience of one, That is rewarded both now and forever because we will get a great sense of accomplishment, as Larry suggested. We will see great fulfillment in our life. But at the same time, we're going to have a great reward stored up in heaven for us that we can look forward to, that we can be assured of. And when when we work this way, understand that we are not going to be burdensome or toilsome. It's going to be alive and it's going to be invigorating. Now understand that because of the battle that we're in here of good versus evil, that even spiritually empowered work sometimes and probably quite often requires intentional effort and discipline. Even the good things. It still takes time and effort to get it done. The enemy will, just you know, the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from spiritual work. He'll do everything he can from keeping you, to keep you from hearing the Holy Spirit and for that unction and for that, that, that leading of the Holy Spirit. He will do everything he can to bring distractions and, and all kinds of distortions to that. Just so you know, though, he's not going to be victorious in the end. As we press in and as we seek the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want me to do today, Holy Spirit? Father, what is your plan for me today? What do you have in store for me today? As we get in and ask the Lord that way, and he gives us the direction. That's the kind of work that we need to keep our focus on. And yes, it might take a focus. And yes, it might take some discipline. But that's the kind of motivation that we have to have to glorify God and to work according to his plan and to his, and his purposes. And when we do that, we'll find great reward and great fulfillment. So getting back to Mary and Martha for a minute here, the tension between a lifestyle of rest and work, from that we can draw a conclusion that working in the right area of our giftedness and with the right motivation really isn't work at all. But it brings, but it's an extension of God's grace that brings us both into proper balance. There has to be a balance. Let me ask you the question, do you know what your gifts are? 
Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Well, if you do, you probably understand that when you are operating in, in, in them, it's not hard. You probably find yourself flowing in them quite easily. But for those that don't know your gifts, let me ask you some questions. Here's some ways that you can help. See, if you're trying to find out what your gifts are, um, you can ask yourself, what's easy for me to do? What do I enjoy doing? What, what comes easy for me? Where are my interests? When you start asking yourself those questions, you are on the road to kind of finding your spiritual gifts. You can also ask yourself, what are the things that break my heart? What are the things that give me the most pain when I see happening? That's an also an indicator of maybe where your gift is at. In other words, when you look at your life, maybe you're drawing, drawn to things where you see an injustice. Maybe you don't see our youth being trained properly. Maybe you don't see a good youth group. Maybe, maybe God is leading you into youth leadership. Maybe you see people with special needs. And that breaks your heart. And that brings you a burden. Well, maybe that's a gifting that you have to start looking at that. Maybe you see the poor and the downtrodden. Or maybe you see the fact that we don't have good Sunday school teaching going on. Or whatever whatever that, that thing that breaks your heart, that draws you to. It's either, a, it's either the easy thing for you to do or the thing that is drawn to you because you see the injustice of it not being done right. Those are good indicators of maybe what your spiritual gifts are. Pray about that. See what God is leading you to today. That's why it's so personal. That's why it's just you and the Holy Spirit to figure this out. I can't tell you what your gifts are necessarily. I can see them possibly, but I can't tell you what it should be. So ask the Lord. And then once you find or understand your gifting, are you getting involved in it? This is where it's so important that if we're going to be a a functioning church, a healthy, growing church, we need to have people that are not only seeing their gifted areas, but are getting involved in them. And this is the area I believe the enemy works the hardest in so that we miss what God is trying to do in our life. I think this is where the enemy loves to bring distractions and distortions and all kinds of excuses because he doesn't want to see people operating in their gifts. Because if he sees people operating in their gifts... He is losing. Because people that operate in their gifts are powerful. The Holy Spirit can do mighty things to a person that is keyed in, tied in, connected to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of how we might want to understand and protect ourselves from maybe getting into a a, a work-focused zeal. Okay, How can we protect ourselves? This is a, we've all heard the analogy before, that, and this sounds really good, by the way. We've heard the analogy of that we're supposed to be a channel of God's blessings. We're supposed to be a channel rather than a lake or a pond. And the intent here is that the blessings are supposed to flow through us. We're not supposed to hoard them up. Because if we hoard them up and become like a pond with no outlet, we can become stagnant. And the pond will suffocate itself because there's no fresh water. There's no flow. So we think we have to be a channel. But being a channel though, can have some issues. Uh, this is what I've, one of the things I've learned last week, actually, at, uh, at the Colson Fellows. This is one of the comments that was being made, that rather than looking at ourselves as a channel, maybe we should look at ourselves as a reservoir. A reservoir. Now, what's the difference? 
A reservoir has an inlet, and it has an outlet, but it has a pond area in the middle of it. It has an area where there's a collection of water. The difference here is that a channel would be indicative of constant movement and activity without any rest, without a period of, of taking the time to let things build up. A channel may result in a couple things. Number one, if there's too much water running down the channel, it becomes a raging stream and it becomes, becomes pressurized. And you can have too much of a good thing, and, and it can be hard to control, and it could even be destructive. We've seen flash floods, a little nice meandering stream all of a sudden being full of water with too much intensity, and all of a sudden that little stream becomes a raging flood, and it destroys things. All right, that's one problem with the channel. Maybe we have too much of a good thing. The other problem is, is if there's a drought, and the level of the water goes down to the point where there's no longer a steady stream, but a trickle. Not enough to do anything for anybody. Not enough to even water the animals that are downstream. A channel, is therefore, is, is reactionary. Immediately, it's reactionary to the amount of water that is flowing in it at any given moment of time. There is no buffer. There's no reserve. What you see is what you get. It's just an, an immediate reaction to the things around us. Therefore, a channel is only able to react, not be proactive. It can only react to the amount of water that it has at the moment to meet the need downstream. It can't be proactive in any way because it only has what it has. Where a reservoir, however, is a picture of a stream filling up a lake that has a controlled outlet at the end that can be managed so that reservoir can be filled up and actually, the beautiful part about a reservoir is that what's overflowing out of the reservoir is fresh water. It's clean water. It's water out of its abundance of the reservoir. The, the, the reservoir flows out, not in its lack, but out of its abundance. And if there's a peaceful time while the reservoir is filling, there is a time of peace. The water's not rushing hard through that reservoir. No, in fact, there's maybe not even any current in it. It may be a nice pond that you can row a boat across and it can be peaceful and it can be really gentle. That's the peace of God that comes in turmoil situations while we're filling the reservoir. The inlet and the outlet are important, but they're managed. There is the manager of the reservoir knows when to increase or decrease the amount coming in, and he knows how to increase and decrease the amount going out to meet the need. There's a buffer there, and that buffer time gives rest, and it gives contentment. Even while the reservoir is being filled, there's a level of contentment in our life. Isn't that cool? Doesn't it, be, isn't it sound better to be a reservoir of God's blessing than just a channel of God's blessing? Yeah. This is a great picture of a balanced Christian life that is plugged into the Holy Spirit, that is plugged in, and, 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 and it is a good example of, of, of remaining in the vine, chapter John chapter 15, remaining in the vine, you're plugged in, you're a constant source, you're plugged into the source. You know, the old saying goes that one can't give away what one doesn't have. One can't give away what one doesn't have. That's very true. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're filled up with the Holy Spirit, we can minister into the lives of others over our overflow of the Holy Spirit. When I have the overflow happening in my life, 
It's not a pressurized channel. I'm not blowing people away with my goodness. I'm not blowing people away with my exuberance. No, the overflow is a gentle overflow. And, it's, and at the same time, it's not a channel that's trickling with just enough. No, it is an abundance. It is abundance. And here it is that, that we need to have, if a reservoir is going to be effective, it needs to constantly be, be being filled with margin. We need to create margin in our life that we can be the reservoir. We're not always running at the edge. We're taking the time to rest, taking the time to evaluate, taking the time to make sure that our priorities are right. The reservoir is meeting the demand for water downstream out of its abundance. What this means is that there's a huge difference in the quality of water that's running from the abundance of a reservoir or the trickle of a stream. What's at the top of the reservoir is clean and fresh. All the sediment and all the junk sinks to the bottom. God gives us his best out of the abundance of God's mercy and abundance of God's grace. He's not given us the dregs. He's not given us the leftovers. No, so we are also to give out of our abundance. When I give out of my abundance of a filled up reservoir of being in the presence of the Holy Spirit, when people bump into me and I spill over into them, I'm giving them the best of God. Not waiting till I'm dry and empty and then giving them what's left over. If I had a water jug right here, would you want the first drink or the last drink of my water jug? <laughs> Why? Because you don't want the leftovers. Right? You don't want the backwash. You want the first drink. That's the abundance of the reservoir. You don't want to drink the last drink of my water bottle. I don't even want to drink the last drink of my water bottle. That's how bad it is. How much more effective would we be as a church if everyone lived a life of a full reservoir? ready and willing to be used of God just by bump into them and you get the outfilling of the Holy Spirit. You just come into church and you bump into your neighbor and all of a sudden he's spilling God's glory all over you. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be effective? But many times we come in as a trickling stream because we haven't been filling the reservoir for the week. We come in exhausted. We come in tired. We come in with all of our problems and hey, there are times when that has to happen. I get that. I mean, the church is a hospital. We are there for people that come in like that. And, and we need to be there for them. I get that. But for those that make church a regular point of your life, if you're going to be vibrant and really full of the Holy Spirit, then you need to be working then every day, filling up the reservoir. So when you come into church, you're already full. So you're ready to bump into the person that's dry, and you're willing to spill over God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's abundance out of your abundance. That's the way we're supposed to be, folks. That's what a church is about. That's the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for. He's coming back for the church of abundance. And I'm not talking about financial abundance, even though that's good. I'm talking about spiritual abundance. I'm talking about spiritual life. That's what Jesus is coming back for. And that's what he's willing to give us as we stay plugged into him and as we do a good job keeping our abundance full of our, in our reservoir. That's what it's about. Now this takes me to my final point. As a body, we have a physical body. Every, every member of our body has a purpose. My little finger has a purpose. Different than my thumb, different than my elbow, different than my knee, different than my ankle, different than my ear. My little finger has a purpose. If my little finger's purpose 
tried to do what the ankle does, I would fall flat on my face. Because I can't walk on my little finger. I walk on my ankles. I walk on my feet. We as a body of believers, we have different giftings as well. And as we operate in our giftings, we are then operating in our strength so that the body can operate properly. Amen? You know what I'm saying? You know where I'm going here? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 12 through 26. You can read the full part of it when you get home, but I just want to read some, some, some pieces of it. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. I can have lots of parts, one body, <laughs> thankfully. One body, right? So it is churches. Many people in the church, yet we're one church. One body, all right? And then verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part of many. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And finally, verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Can you see how this applies to the church? I don't think I have to go much deeper on this one. I think it's pretty obvious. I think the example is very clear that if everyone finds their area of gifting, fills up your reservoir, being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the, and the love and the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And if everyone takes their part in the body of Christ, you know what we're going to have? A very attractive body. This is gearing for growth. This is what the Lord is trying to do in our body. He's trying to get us all to recognize we have a very important function to do. Your job is to find it. Your job is to fill up your reservoir. Your job is to let him fill up the reservoir. You can't fill it yourself. He fills it as you stay in his presence. He fills it. That's the rest part. And then comes the work part where you come in and you're ready to put work and effort and be fulfilled. That's what it's about. That's what we can do. That's what the Lord wants to do in his body, in his church. Jackie, if you'd come. As we conclude this morning, I feel that as we look into the summer, this is the model that we all need to have in our lives. I know that Chris and I are looking forward to a time of rest. And I am praying that each person that calls us their church home will also find a time of rest. At the same time, I'm asking each one to step up and do their part. Do the part that God has called you to do in your church. This is your church, not my church. It's your church. Well, actually, it's God's church. He's given us stewardship over it. Okay, you're the steward of God's church. We need to see our lives as a reservoir of God's Holy Spirit's power, not simply as a channel. We need to let Him flow through us, but we need to take the time to rest and relax. And we can do this on a daily, weekly basis. This doesn't just happen once in every three months, or every three months, once every nine years. No, it's a daily process, it's a weekly process. Jesus said it best, as he always does. You ever know Jesus not to say it best? He always says it best. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Yeah. 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is a great example of what it is to be operating and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, He will never put something on you that will be that will overpower or overtake you. He will allow you, He will empower you to do the work. And He will get the glory for it. He will get the glory for it. Not me, not you. And thus, when I'm giving Him all the glory, you know what I'm doing? I am laying up rewards in heaven. There's going to come a day that Bema Seed Judgment is going to be sweet for many of us. It's going to be a sweet day when he says, well done, thou good and faithful. When he looks down to us and says, well done, thou good and faithful. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What a grand day that's going to be. Amen? Amen. And it's coming soon, folks. I want you to know it's coming soon. We don't have time to be lazy. We don't have time to say, oh, I'll do it when I'm older. I don't know. I'll do it when I retire. I'll do it whenever. No, we don't have time. The time is short. He is calling us. He's making a very desperate call to us right now that we would enter into his rest and enter in, into his work. Amen? Amen. Thank you for indulging me a little bit longer here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us clear direction. You've given us a clear mandate, and that is to work and to rest. And to work into, you, in, into the power, with the holy power, power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That we would not work in our flesh of our own ideas. We would actually rest and ask you for what you want us to do. As we're resting, we're asking you. We're talking to you. We're having a relationship with you. That's what rest is all about. That we can rejuvenate, we can re- reinvigorate our relationship. Father, I just pray, God, blessing on this church over the next three months. I pray blessing, Father. I pray you would fill us up. Lord, with all the power and the authority and the pleasure that you have for us. And I just ask this in Jesus.